Y'all should just keep them on. You look, you look good. You look good. Uh, you know, we're in a series called Standouts, and it's just a fun way to, to remember that. We're not called to fade into the background, but we really are called to stand out in some distinct ways that we're uh, talking about as a church. And um, I'm so glad to be here with you again to share share more about this. My name is Dion. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. If you want um, 3D glasses, so you can watch that at wherever you're streaming from. There's a link on our website or a link on your uh, stream, I think. Also, you can go to our website, stjstl.net slash 3D, and we'll, uh, we'll send you some so that you can participate fully in that. Um, back in January, right, you know, right into a new year, I found myself on a Saturday night um, after service, we have a Saturday night service here. Some of you didn't know that, um, but now you do. Uh, we, right after a Saturday night service, I found myself in a ballroom at the Ritz-Carlton, surrounded by elegantly dressed people. I mean, this is like a very formal black tie kind of event. And uh, I was rubbing elbows. I mean, I was trying to rub elbows. They were staying away from me. But uh, with people like Mike Bush from the local news and Mike Matheny from the Cardinals. And uh, I, I know you're thinking, you're way out of your league and... You're right, I was. Um, and the reason I was there, the reason I was in this place with people that I usually don't connect with, is, uh, is I was there for a fundraiser. It was the annual gala for the Rankin-Jordan Pediatric Bridge Hospital. How many of you St. Louis people know um, Rankin-Jordan? A little bit about them? Yeah, you've heard the name at least. Uh, I had fun learning more about them. They're a specialty hospital that bridges normal hospital care, usual hospital care, and home care, and they focus on kids, birth to 21, with uh, serious injuries or illnesses, and they kind of step into this gap between what you can get in the hospital and what you can get at home. And, um, and so I was there for this, uh, this fundraiser. Someone invited me. I didn't wear jeans, if that's what you're wondering. Um, I, I didn't. I put on something a little bit nicer. And, uh, and I was just, I, I got to hear more about this hospital. I got to hear stories and testimonials and some of the patients who have been helped through this hospital came forward and shared their stories. And it was really, really powerful. I was so, I was so impressed by it all. Um, and as I sat there, and I don't, I don't know if you ever do this, as I sat there, I began, I began measuring myself. And I do this from time to time. I began measuring myself up against other leaders. And the executive, chief executive at Rankin Jordan is, uh, is uh, just a really impressive woman. And, and I started just kind of measuring myself up against her leadership and what she's doing. And, and, uh, and I started to, I started to you know, struggle a little bit because I, I, I see myself as someone who's working hard. You know, I'm pushing us as a church to fulfill some things. We're stretched to fulfill our vision. It's good. Good things are happening here. I believe that. We celebrate those good things all the time. You're good enough to share with me stories of life change and impact that are happening in your life because of this church. And I feel really proud of that. But as I sat there that night and I heard stories, I couldn't help but thinking, I couldn't help but thinking, wow. Now, now she's really doing it. This is really impressive stuff that's going on at Rankin Jordan. This is significant. And then a few weeks later, at the beginning of February, um, a lot of you know that we celebrated Steve Hauer and his 30 years of leadership here, 27 years as our senior pastor. And, um, and again, Steve and I, we're, we're close. He's a good friend of mine. I'm well aware of what a gifted leader that he is. Except in that week where we were really celebrating him intensely, all of those 30 years, you know, kind of collapsed down into one brief view. And I just found myself again being blown away by what God did through that man and his leadership. And just thinking and wondering, you know, will my life, will my leadership ever be as fruitful, ever be as fruitful as his? See, because I don't know about you, but when, when it comes to life, more than anything in life, I want to live a fruitful life. 
More than being well-known or famous or wealthy or having a list of accomplishments that can impress other people, that, that's not what I care about most. I mean, those, those things can seem attractive at, at times, but more than anything, what I desire for my life is to live a fruitful, a fruitful life. Am I the only one? Oh, no, there's two of us. Good. Okay, there's maybe three, maybe three. Um, because here's what I've observed about, about people, and I get to observe a lot of people, and I get, I get to see the behind the scenes on a lot of people. And I'll tell you, if you want to just become, like, you know, take off the masks and, and become, like, just demystify yourself with all of the hype of culture, become a pastor because you get to see behind the scenes all the time in people's lives. What looks really good on the outside is not always really good on the inside. And, and through my observation, here's what I've discovered, that the people who are living the richest and fullest lives aren't the people that you would necessarily think. They're not the people that our culture celebrates. Instead, they're, they're the teacher who dedicates himself to a classroom of students, not just teaching students, but seriously forming them for the future. You probably know a teacher like that sometime in your life. Or it's the executive who isn't on a Fortune 500 list or a Fortune, you know, whatever list. It's, it's the executive who every day she goes to work and she creates a working environment where they're doing good things, but where her employees feel dignity and meaning and purpose because work can be so dehumanizing, can it? Or it's the grandparent who is the, just the model of grace and truth for their grandkids and anyone else in their community. See, those are the people who are doing it. Those are the people who are, who are living a life of significance. Those people are the people whose lives are full and rich. Those are the people that I admire. They're living a fruitful life. But sometimes it's kind of confusing as to what really will make a fruitful life, isn't it? I mean, that's a question I think a lot of us wrestle with. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Bob Buford. He wrote a book called Halftime, I think. Oh, there he is. Uh, yeah, he did, after all. Uh, he's kind of looking cockeyed at his book. I'm not sure what's going on here. But uh, uh, he wrote a book called Halftime. And Bob Buford, we've talked about him before. He was a cable executive, hugely successful, um, had, a, had a cable empire. And at some point in his life, he said, you know, success is nice, but th- this isn't it. This, this isn't it. And so he sold his business and he trans, transitioned his whole life to not being about success but significance. And he wrote this book about that, about that transition, moving from a life that's pursuing success to a life that's about pursuing significance. And about a million books have been sold, which means a lot of people must be asking this same question. A lot of us are catching on and we realize that it's not about wealth or fame or notoriety or success as, as our culture defines it. It's not about that. What it's actually about, what it's ultimately about is a life of significance, a life that is fruitful. And so today, if you're someone who's ever wrestled with that question, because the life that you're living today, it's good on paper, and maybe it's even the life that you always wanted for yourself, and, and you've got it now, but, but maybe it's not, it's not a life that you would say is significant. It's not a life that's fruitful, and, and you wonder how to get there. Today, you're going to hear a secret given to you from Jesus, a key to a fruitful life. And it comes from John chapter 15. So uh, if you want to look along in a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you here in the room, page 1081, or you can look along in your Bible at home, or you can look along right here on the, on the TV. Uh, and again, if you've ever wrestled with this question, Jesus makes it so clear. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now in our midweeks 
right now for Lent, we're studying some of these I am statements from Jesus where he, this is a way that he teaches, especially in John's gospel. He describes himself using these I am statements and then he kind of teaches through a metaphor. And, um, and so I stole this one from our midweeks and put it on the weekend because it's just too, it's too important for us to miss. And, and so Jesus starts off this way, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. It's this whole vineyard metaphor. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. Now, translationally, I got this highlighted because uh, some translations say cuts off. Uh, some translations say take, takes away. Uh, the Greek root for this word can mean lift up or take up. And I, I think it's interesting that, that the NIV translation, the one I have here, translates it this way. I feel like it's almost a bias, a theological bias, um, of the translators, because I'm not sure this is what Jesus was actually actually saying. Uh, see, the way I understand it when it comes to, to vines and grapes and growing those things, that if you have a vine that's not producing, the first thing you do is you pick it up out of the dirt and, and you kind of tie it on to another one that is with the hopes that that unfruitful vine or branch might become fruitful. And so I think it's really possible that what uh, Jesus is actually saying is he's the vine, the father's the gardener. And what the, what the father does, and I mean, don't miss this, what the father does is he first lifts up or takes up those branches that are not fruitful. He ties them onto another fruitful branch with hopes that they, they will become fruitful. And then meanwhile, for those branches that are fruitful, he doesn't say, hey, good for you. Instead, he says, good, you're fruitful. I want to make you more fruitful. So he prunes them. He cleans them off of all of the dead stuff, all of the stuff that is inhibiting their fruitfulness so that they can be even more fruitful. Are you getting the picture from Jesus right now? See, if you've ever thought that God is kind of your opposition, or at least he's not as excited as you are about living a fruitful life, you couldn't be more wrong See, Jesus is describing the Father, and he says, the Father is so eager for us to be fruitful. He wants the same thing that we want in our lives. And so if we're not fruitful, he picks us up and ties us to another branch so that we might become fruitful. Or if we're already fruitful, he says, good, good, good. And, and he works on us so that we can become even more fruitful. See, the Father, he's dedicated to the same thing that a lot of us deep down want for our lives. And then Jesus continues. He says, you are already clean, and uh, this word clean is the same word as pruned. So uh, he prunes every branch that bears fruit to make it more fruitful. You've already been pruned or you've already been cleaned because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see the promise here? Jesus says, hey, hey, I can guarantee you a way that you can bear fruit, that you can live a fruitful life, a life that counts, a life that matters, a life that's significant. And how does it begin? What's the first step? It's to remain in me and I in you because I am the vine, you are the branches. He's talking about connection. He's talking about connection. Jesus says, hey, the Father wants the same thing that you want. And I can guarantee you a life that's fruitful. And it's not even your responsibility to make it fruitful yourself. Is that, is that a load off to anyone else? That it's not on you to figure out a way to make your life fruitful on, on your own? This, this is not a burden that you have to bear. This is something that God takes on himself. 
But what Jesus says is, the, the way you get it is through a connection to me because Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And this connection is so important that Jesus says that you can't live a fruitful life without it. Look how he continues. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. In other words, there's just no way that you can live a fruitful life apart from me. Now, now sometimes we, we hear this and we think like Jesus is just talking about the spiritual stuff like the spiritual fruit in our lives, but, but he's really talking about everything, a, a holistic picture of life, everything that makes life fruitful. That's what he's talking about. And he says, you can't have any of that really apart from a connection with me. That you, you're just, without, without me, you'll just wither up and you'll be dry and not fruitful and, and it doesn't matter what you do. It'll never amount to anything. And some of you, you know people like that. And in one, in one you know, way of thinking about it. They've got everything. They've got everything. And you wouldn't trade places with them for a minute because, because there's, just, there's just nothing alive in them. There's nothing, they're withered up and dry. There's nothing fruitful. They have everything, but you would never want that life because it's not a fruitful life. Jesus says, the reason that is is because if you're not connected with me, you, you can't bear fruit. And then he goes on and he concludes this way. He says, uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love how he concludes. He says, you know what, you know what honors the Father? We talk a lot in churches, at least, about how to honor God, how to, how to glorify God, the things that, uh, that, that we do in our relationship with God to show him that he matters to us and, and to give him a life of honor and worship. And, and Jesus says, you, you, know, you, know what, you know what makes my Father happy? When you live fruitful lives. That's what my father wants. That that brings him glory. When when you get to live a life that counts, a life that matters, a life that's fruitful and significant, that is to the father's glory. Again, what is he saying? He's saying the thing that we want deep down to live a life of significance, a life that counts, it's the same thing. The same thing that our father wants. And the way you get it, Jesus says, is through connection. See, inspiring connections, that's what we're talking about here today. And, um, you know, uh, two years ago, we did some research, focus group research in our community, and we just wanted to understand better from the mouths of people who don't go to church what it is that gets in the way of them attending a church or what it is that would draw them into a church. And uh, as, as we uh, talked to them and, and listened to them, we heard some common threads. We kept hearing this over and over again, that, that what people are hungry for is a place where all of the divisions, all of the you know, fighting, all of the tribalism that exists in the world today just kind of disappears. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe or where you're from or, or what you've done in your past. That stuff doesn't matter. They talked about finding a place where you can just be accepted unconditionally. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that, that, uh, about the power of being that kind of place. Uh, we heard this over and over again, too. People kept saying, you know what? Don't just talk to me about the Bible because I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with that. I, I don't understand. But, but if you can help me with life, if you can show me what the Bible says about my life, if you can help me in the things of life, I'm there. And so last week you heard Doug Moss talk about a true-to-life approach and why we approach teaching and ministry the way that we do as a, as a church. But you also saw something. You saw that this is how Jesus approaches things. So he takes, last week, the really complex Sabbath laws 
that people are like writing about and there are, there are like manuals on how to interpret Sabbath laws and, and there's all of this commentary about this and, and Jesus, you know, he gets asked a question about Sabbath and are you allowed to work or not and, and, he, and he, you know, what is, he doesn't go to the manuals and the theological books. Instead he says, hey, if one of you has a sheep and it falls in a pit, don't you get it out even on the Sabbath? And people are going, we get it now. Thank you for making this, like you, you put it in real life terms or even today. He says, you want to understand? You want to understand what the Father wants for you? Let me explain it this way. My Father is the gardener, and, uh, and I'm the vine, and you're the branches. And nothing delights my Father more than you bearing fruit. And the way, the way you bear fruit is just the way a branch bears fruit. It's got to remain in the vine, and I'm, I'm the vine. Remain in me, and you'll be fruitful. And there's no theological jargon. It's just real-life stuff, and all of a sudden people are going, oh, thank you right? Uh, That's what people said they're hungry for. We're going to talk about this next week, a God-directed journey. But one of the things that we heard over and over again from people is, man, just don't beat me up. Life is heavy. Don't shame me. Don't guilt me. But if I can find, if I can find a place that's inspiring and a place that inspires me to make connections with, with people and the things that I need, Man, that's, that's a place I would love to go. And, and these were the things that we heard. And, and then, you know, we took a, a couple of years and, and just kind of wrestled through all of that. And what we realized is everything that our community is hungry for are the things that God tells his church to be about. They're the things that God promises to give us. This is the stuff that God already wants to do and our community is asking for it. And so the way we will stand out as a church and as people, because this isn't just corporate talk, this is, this is personal, is to become people of unconditional acceptance, to become people who are true to life, not lofty theological, not, not you know, pious and otherworldly, but we stay rooted in real life and we help people with the stuff of real life. And we become people, we become a church that is all about inspiring people to make connections. So we, we can do this, we are doing this stuff, and this is what, this is what our world is hungry for. But I'll tell you, the great temptation that comes with connections and, and helping people get connected, the great temptation, the, the place where we mess this up all the time, is, is right here. The great temptation or the great confusion is that we want to connect people to the wrong things. Let me explain what I mean. See, this is the stuff that people need most. If you want to live a fruitful life and, and you wonder what that looks like, uh, you see in the middle is Jesus because he's the vine and we're the branches, but radiating all around Jesus, you have to turn your head on some of these or squint maybe a little bit, try your 3D glasses, see if that helps. But um, uh, r- around these things are the things that, that come alone through Jesus. And so uh, here we've got other people and we know that's a part of it, right? We say all the time here that life change, life, life transformation happens in relationship, through relationships with other people, that we need each other, that we're put together, as Drew talked about at the beginning of the service, we're put together as a family, as a body, that, that we're not meant to do this alone. If, if you're trying to do life alone or keeping people at arm's length or not letting them get too close, you'll never live a life of, of significance, a fruitful life, an abundant life. You, you, gotta, you gotta lean on and let other people in. 
Uh, we know that support's a big part of life, that we go through hard things and, and finding support for, for grief and divorce and financial distress and, and all of the ups and downs um, of life, that's, that's something that we need in order to be fruitful. We can't be fruitful while we're, while we're hemorrhaging, right? We're, we're hurting. We need, uh, we need care and, and truth. We talked about that last week, healing, um, grace. You know, grace is not just a concept here at this church. Grace is a reality that we will experience in just a minute through community. Union. Great grace is this, is this truth that we are loved and it's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything that we do. We are loved because God is a God of love who just wants to love us. Period. And it's not about us. It's about him and it's, it's about his deep love. And, and we don't just talk about that, but, but we get to receive Jesus' body and blood. His love for us poured out on the cross. We get to experience the benefits of that here at this church, and, and we get connected to grace, which is, is so life-changing. Forgiveness is right there with that. Over here, I've got the word purpose, because that's something that we need to understand. We, we've got to get connected to our purpose. And if you want to help people in your life, one of the things that you can do is help them discover their purpose. Why on earth am I here? What, you know, how has God uniquely designed me and made me and gifted me? What is he calling me to do? And, and so we as a church, when we, when we encourage you to serve or to take a next step or go to getting started or, or give or check out a mission trip, and you're, you're, you're challenged today to do all of those things. We will talk about all of those things today. It's not about us trying to do something for ourselves. This isn't about us using you. It's, it's about helping connect you in with your purpose. Because it's through giving that we discover what we're created to do. And it's, it's through stepping out in faith and serving that we discover gifts that we never knew we had. And, and, and the true purpose of, of life not being about us and being about other people. It's, it's, it's through taking those courageous next steps that we get connected to our purpose. And, and like I said before, Jesus is right at the center of it. See, see this is what we need. If, again, if you're kind of puzzled as to why your life isn't as fruitful as you want it to be, start here. Make sure that you've got all of this stuff in your life. Because Jesus is divine. And he says if we remain in him, and he, then he remains in us, that we will bear fruit. We will live a life of significance. See, these are the things that we need. But the great temptation that befalls us as Christians, and certainly as church leaders is to get confused about what people really need. And what happens is we start to imagine that what people really need is us. And so uh, in the church, it often looks like this, that, that we make a, a dangerous substitution, and instead of realizing that these are the things that people need, instead we think that what people need most is to get connected to the church. And, uh, and, and then meanwhile, people show up and they say, okay, well, if I'm supposed to get connected to a church, I'll come to church. And, and we go to church, we come to church, and we sit in church, and we wait for something to happen. And then maybe we eventually just stop going to church because whatever we were hoping to happen isn't happening in our lives. Why? Because we've gotten confused about what we need to be connected to. It's not about being connected to the church alone. It's about being connected to the things that you can find here. See, the reason the church is significant is because this is the place where you find all of those things. I defy you to try to find them anywhere else. I mean, this is God's creation, but, but, but it's, it's all about finding the things that exist here. It's not just sitting here. It's, it's taking those steps. It's being courageous. It's putting ourselves out on a limb so that we might 
take hold of the things that we truly need in order to be fruitful. And, and because of that, because we make the church the thing, we think the connection is about us just get connected here at St. John. Again, this is what church leaders do. This is my temptation. Is then we start competing with other churches. Because we lose sight of the fact that, that it's, it's about Jesus. It's about being connected to the things that he gives. And, and then we start to get just kind of, you know, overzealous about people connecting here. And we start getting caught up in our metrics and our numbers. And we see other churches as threats because they're fighting or competing for the same people. As if just getting connected to a church is going to be life-changing for people. See, see that's, that's my temptation. On a more personal level, and maybe this makes more sense for you. Isn't it true that when we hear connection and, and we think about someone in our life who might need connection, isn't it true that our first mental reaction is to imagine that we have to somehow be in the middle of that, that, that we are in the center of it, that somehow a connection, other people's connection, means a connection to us? And isn't it true that deep down, yeah, we want people to be connected to the things they need most, but isn't it true that we really would kind of like it if, if we could be at the center, if we could be the hub? And isn't it true that sometimes we imagine that um, we could even be in the place of Jesus as the vine, that if people would just get connected to us, that we, that we would bring so many great things into their life, that they would come alive and they would thrive and, and that, that, that they would have all of that through a relationship with us, that our love and our friendship and that it could somehow just transform someone's life. And you see, when we start to imagine that connection means us at the middle of it, then you know what happens? Then whenever someone else comes into the picture, when, when maybe a, a person we love needs a connection with someone else, we start to feel threatened. We start to feel competition. We, they're my friend, not your friend. We start to see any growth that they're making as maybe a threat to our, our love, our value, our purpose. You see, there's this great temptation when we talk about connection, to imagine that somehow we have to be right at the center of it rather than being instruments to help people get connected. And, and I'll just tell you, here, here's what I want, even though that temptation is strong, here's what I want personally for me as, as a person in my relationships, here's what I want for us to be as a church. I want, I want us to be, I want myself to be a person who just wants to see people get connected to what they need most period, no matter what the cost. And so that means that if, if friends of mine need to take a step toward another relationship, another friendship that's meaningful in their life, and even though that threatens me and that, that may undermine my sense of value and love and purpose and worthiness because now I'm not everything that they need and they need other relationships in their life, I, I want to be the guy who says, so be it. Because it's not about me. And that means that for me as a church leader, that means that, that when any of you in our church family, if, if there comes a point in your life where, where you think you need to take a step toward another church because the thing that you need, the connection that you require with these deeper things in life, you can find it easier somewhere else. I want to be the guy who's not only okay with that, I want to be the guy who celebrates that. But I'll tell you, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. See, see, the temptation I feel is to pull people into me, to want to, to connect them to me, to be the hub, to be the center, to pull them into my organization, into my life. It is so strong because my value, my worth, my meaning so often depends on that. But with everything I have, I want to fight against it because I know that I am not 
what people really need most. See, I want that so badly that a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a thing that was incredibly difficult. It was, it was incredibly ego-killing for me. It was on Ash Wednesday afternoon, because I figure if you're going to kill your ego, do it at the start of Lent. Do it on Ash Wednesday. It's a great way to celebrate the holiday. Um, and, uh, and I finally decided, after, after uh, living in this community for over nine years, um, I finally decided I, ha- I had to do something that I've been dreading, that I've been resisting doing. The Holy Spirit's been nudging me toward it, and I just keep finding excuses. And so I got in my car uh, Wednesday afternoon, Ash Wednesday, and I drove um, down to the valley, um, and I had a face-to-face meeting with Pastor Greg Holder, who is the lead pastor at The Crossing. Now, I think a lot of you know The Crossing, uh, if you're here in St. Louis, because it is that giant church that is in our backyard and our side yard, and our front yard. It's kind of all around. And uh, it's a church that has just been growing like crazy in the last 15 years. You know the crossing. You know the crossing personally because chances are you probably know someone who used to sit next to you in church who now is sitting there in church. And there's some vice versa uh, I, I know too. Um, and, 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 and there has just been this thing that has not sat right in me about the way that I feel when someone brings up the crossing. Because I felt like just this, this threat and this ego and this competition seeping in. And I didn't like it. And I just, it didn't feel right. But I didn't have the courage to do it until Ash Wednesday. And so I drove up to the crossing. I met with Pastor Greg there. And, um, I, and I just knew that if I could sit down and meet the guy, it would change my heart. I would no longer see him as competition. I'd no longer see them as my enemy. And you know what? I was right. I sat down with him. He's a great guy. He's got a great heart. And although our churches are different and they're distinct, um, and frankly, I, I like ours better, um, and I like what we're doing better. Yeah. Right? I like it. I think it's good. I think it's right. But here's what I realized, that, that that's good. I, I like what we do here better, but I realize that we have a lot in common. And here's what I realize more than that. That, that if, if, if my heart's desire is really to see people thrive, then I've got to be okay with the fact that God's going to use lots of different kinds of churches in order to let that happen. And I don't have to feel like, I, like, like they're a threat to anything here. People are not, we're, we're not in competition for people with other churches who are also all about connecting people to Jesus. See, if it's about connecting them to me and to us and to this organization, then, then absolutely, they're our competition, they're our enemy, they're our threat. But if it's about connecting people to Jesus and the things that Jesus gives the things that they need most so they can come alive than other churches. There are partners. They're not our competition. Because Jesus is the vine and anyone who's connecting them to Jesus, Steve, how are you, Sam? I'm a fan of them. So I want to ask you today, how committed are you? How committed are you personally to helping people find the things in life that they need most? What are you willing to do in order to help people in our community get connected to Jesus and the things that he offers, the things that promise to be life-changing, life-transforming, fruit-making? What are you willing to do? What, What are you personally willing to give up What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to become smaller 
in the lives of some people who, who you really value because you need a decrease so that Jesus might increase? Uh, are you willing to give up some of your resources? Are, are you willing to, to share the, the, the gifts, the wealth that God has given to you so that our church can be stronger, so that more people, so that more people can, uh, can get connected to Jesus and, and can come alive and be fruitful? Are, are you willing to give up some of your time and to serve? Are, are you willing to, to, just, to just even break out of the, the you know, boxes that we live in and start to get to know your neighbors better and to make yourself uncomfortable and to, and to cross divides to get to know people who think or feel or live differently? Or, what are you willing to do personally? And what are you willing to give up in order to help people in our community find more of what they truly need. See, you'd know, you probably know what Jesus was willing to do. He left the Father's side, he left glory, and he came and he walked on this earth and he lived such a humble life and he, and he tried to teach people like us who are hard-headed and he wrestled with the, with the religious leaders who were so hard-hearted and stubborn and wicked and nasty and mean and, 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 he, and he came and he loved us even though we didn't love him back very well. That's what Jesus was willing to do because he knew that what we need more than anything else is a connection with him and that's the only way we can ever live a life that's abundant. And I think you probably know what Jesus was willing to give that he was willing to go to a cross and give his life to end the war between us and God. His way of saying, hey, like you you don't trust God. You think he's out to get you. Let me show you how for you God is. I will go and give my life on a cross. I will lay down my life for you so that you can trust, you can trust me. You can trust my father in heaven that he's good and he wants you to thrive. That's what Jesus was willing to do. And that's what he was willing to give so that we could be connected to him, that that we could find the life of the Father so that we could be vibrant, so that we could be full. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give? See, when we talk about inspiring connections, if we can begin to live this out, then you know what will happen? Our community will come alive. People will begin to thrive. There will be so much fruit in this community that that, that reporters will show up and they'll start writing about it and they'll wonder what's going on because you know what? That's what happened in the ancient world. That's what happened in the first century church. People could not believe what was going on simply because people were courageous enough. They were willing to do and give anything to help people get connected to Jesus. And when people got connected to Jesus, their lives just, 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 they just came so alive. They exploded with fruit. And if we can be a church who's all about this, man. And more than that, if we can be known for this as as a people, as a place where we're fine with decreasing, we're we're fine with doing ego-killing things, we're fine with doing whatever it takes and and giving up whatever we need so so that people can be inspired to connect with the one they need to know most. And you know what? We will shine. We will stand out. Today it's not lost on me that for some of you, you sit here today and this is your first time back in church for a while. 
And today it's, not also, it's also not lost on me that uh, maybe you sit here often, but, but as I talk about a connection, you realize that there's, there's some stuff in the way of that connection, or maybe you feel like that connection isn't as good as it once was. Maybe, maybe you want to get it back, maybe you don't know how to get it back. Maybe for some of you, you've never had a connection with Jesus. And today, as, as we close, I just want to pray for us, all of us, because we're in the same boat here, no matter, no matter how our story looks different. We need Jesus. We need what he can give. And so I want to pray for us. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son for us. I thank you for all that he was willing to do, all that you were, you were willing to do, all that you were willing to give up, and all that he gave so that we might have a life-giving connection with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us undeservedly. Thank you for ending the war between us and you. Thanks for, thanks for just, just, just laying it all down and surrendering yourself, the life of your son, so that we could, we could see you as you really are and we could learn to know and love and trust you. Father, today I, I pray for us and I pray for a deeper connection with your son, Jesus. And Father, there are some of us in this place who we've got, we've got doubts and we've got questions and we've got you know, theological issues or intellectual issues that are holding us back. And, and Father, I pray right now by your spirit that you would just overwhelm us, not with answers to our questions, but with, with a sense that you're real and that you're good and that you're for us. Just short circuit our reason and impress on us that you're here and you love us. Father, for some of us, um, what's getting in the way is something that we've done in our life. Uh, We have a hard time facing you and being honest with you because we carry guilt or shame. We we carry a struggle with us and it it just seems to keep getting in the way. Father, I pray today that you would begin to remove that, that you would speak over us that we are loved, we are yours. Just by your spirit, impress on us how deeply loved we are, not because of anything that we've done or haven't done, good or bad. That you just love us because that's who you are. Father, for some of us, there's, there's pain and there's hurt and there's disappointment even toward you. And Father, again, will you just overwhelm us right now to let us know that you're here. That even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you're for us and you're with us and you love us. And you're doing good things in us, even though it doesn't feel good right now. Father, whatever our story, today by your Spirit's power, we invite you in just to deepen, to foster a a connection with you. So that we might have Jesus, that we might have everything that he brings, everything that we need to truly thrive, to, to grow, to be fruitful, to have a life that counts, so that we might be people who then can go out into the world and shine. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I listen to the words of the message this morning, I'm reminded of just how much I need Jesus and how when we cry out to him, he hears us. So let's just take a moment and confess these words of the psalmist together. Have mercy on us, O God, because of your unfailing love, 
because of your great compassion, forgive us. Free us from the guilt that weighs us down, from the sin that controls us. We have sinned against you and done what is wrong in your eyes. We are well aware of the wrong we do, the words we speak which wound, the unloving thoughts and actions which hurt others and ourselves. We know that these things distance us from you and keep us from recognizing your life in us. Forgive us. Our God is pleased to forgive. It's what he's all about, in fact. And so today, no matter um, what you think might be distancing you between, um, bet- between yourself and God, know that God has stepped into the gap. He's taken that upon himself. It's been taken away and that you're forgiven. And those aren't just words, but that's, that's a, a promise that Jesus gives us in this meal where in bread and wine, we get the body and blood of Jesus for our life, for, for that life-giving connection, for our forgiveness, for grace, for, for all the things that we talked about today. It's here for you. So our Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way also after supper he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood and it shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. She come forward, ushers will direct you forward. Know, know what's being offered. This is, this is a life-giving connection from a God who loves you, who wants to make you fruitful, who wants to make your life rich and abundant. Come forward and receive. Welcome to the Lord's table. <laughs>